Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. I'm Matt Waldman, and joining me as always every other week is Felix Sharp, and we're laughing because we have a show before the show pretty much every other week, and so it, it always feels like we're starting this fresh, and we're both laughing because we know that we've been on for like about an hour, and the show should have started an hour ago, right? <laughs> this is the best show we've done so far, Matt. This is the best show we've done. Um, you know, we don't know, but uh, yeah, we'll keep it up between you and I, man. I'm just glad to talk to you again. Football season is all year round, so uh, I'm glad that we get to continue the conversation that we started last week. Um, yeah. Players with something to prove. So I'm glad that I get to speak to your audience and introduce them uh, to these names because hopefully, and, and I know that your audience, they're dialed for football fans like me. I was just talking to you about I was back home in Michigan and uh, and and watching the the audible on youtube and having the thursday night game up on the on the television so um so you know and yeah all that to say um glad to be having this conversation with you tonight and uh that you would want to introduce your audience to these to these college players who aren't even draft eligible yet well, eligible yet so well the nice thing is that this is becoming our audience you know and that's what we that's really the nice part about this and and if you're not familiar, if you're new to this podcast, let me just say right off the bat, Campus to Canton, if you're not familiar with them, it's the most immersive form of fantasy football today. It's dynasty fantasy football paired with college fantasy. And playing a college matchup and an NFL matchup each week means that you, you've you had guys like Bijan Robinson and C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. who could help you win your college matchup for the week. And then when your college players declare for the draft, well, they're going to be added to your NFL roster. So it's as simple as that. It's a great format. Go to campusdecanton.com. You can get started there. Play both sides. Play Campus to Canton. So with that in mind, we're going to talk a little Campus to Canton type of stuff and continue our conversation about players with something to prove. And then we're going to move on and talk a little bit about what I look for in running backs um, that can be helpful from a college perspective. Um, so... Yeah, so who are some of the players that you wanted to continue talking about that we didn't talk about last week who you feel like have something to prove heading into the 2023 college season? Yeah, and that can be just a little preamble here. That could be we could be talking about um, players who transferred one, from one school to another attempt in an attempt to establish their draft capital or um, a player with you know an established pedigree that hasn't produced up to, up into a certain point. Um, off the top of my head, Joe Burrow being in Ohio State's quarterback room and having to go to LSU and prove that he was you know worthy of being a first round draft pick. Justin Fields the same way he was in Georgia's quarterback room uh, before transferring to Ohio State this past year with Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs, a, a player that we were all very high on, two years at Georgia Tech and then transferring uh, over to Alabama to show that he could be a good player on a, at a college football powerhouse. So that's kind of the theme uh, that, that I'm thinking of here when I'm pulling these players. And since I'm talking about Alabama and Jameer Gibbs, let's just start there. Uh, Malik Benson, wide receiver, Going to Alabama, 6'1", 185 pounds, the top-rated JUCO recruit in the 2023 class, a four-star. Now, there are some recognizable names on that list as far as being the number one JUCO recruit. Perion Winfrey, currently what, with what, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, a guy that we connected 
on was on that list. Alvin Kamara, Cordero Patterson. Uh, so, you know, uh, some history there. These guys who take the road less traveled and Malik Benson is one of them. This was a track athlete coming out of high school, a 10, four, 400 meter dash as a high school senior. If you want to compare that to Tyreek Hill, when he was at Oklahoma state, 10, one, nine, <laughs> Tyreek Hill is ridiculously fast. Uh, 10, one, nine in college, Jalen Waddle in high school as a sophomore, a 10, six, eight. So you get a sense of, you know, what kind of speed this guy had. He was recruited for track coming out of high school to LSU, UCLA, Texas Tech, but he didn't have the grades uh, to enroll. Also has a long jump, reportedly over 25 feet. Um, so there are a couple of things, well, mainly the grades that that played into his going to Hutchinson Community College. Hutchinson Community College where Alvin Kamara spent time, uh, the aforementioned Cordero Patterson uh, spent time. Goes to Hutchinson Community College through two seasons, is 2021 and 2022. He has over uh, 2,200 yards receiving and 21 touchdowns, including 1,200 as a freshman. And I think that some of his strengths are what you would expect from a guy with a track background. He's He has high knees. He's a fluid mover, on, specifically on vertically bake, breaking routes, so goes, posts, corner routes, um, he, he can run those routes really easily and fluidly. Um, uh, some of his weaknesses, at least that I see, are he's less comfortable with the routes that require him to drop weight or decelerate quickly. I'm thinking hitches, comebacks, you know, in routes or, or digs, outs, those sort of things. He can take several steps to make those breaks, which can allow defenders to recover, even if he has a step on them initially. So, um, you know, Malik Benson, he's going there to Alabama. Alabama has kind of been known for having these prolific passers with Tua Tungavialoa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. That's not really going to be the case, at least this year. At least we don't think so. The two guys who are competing for the starting position and Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, those guys are more rushers. So, you know, what uh, Malik Benson's role will be is a little bit questionable. Now, they've needed some speed uh, at Alabama there, and, and, and he's bringing it. And I can see it, this being a good or bad matchup. You know, if, if, if Alabama's running a more run-heavy offense that we saw, like, in the early, you know, when Nick Saban first got there, because with that, with that kind of offense – you know, your safety starts to cheat. They start to come down into the box. You get one-on-ones on the outside. You get to face one high or even zero high. And some, you know, when we, when we watch Ohio State play Michigan, the, the, the stupidest uh, uh, defensive scheme that I've ever seen in a, in a college football game, going zero coverage as long as they did in that game. Anyway, when you, when you can run the ball, uh, you force or you dictate the defense and you can get one-on-one -on -one matchups and a speed guy like like Malik Benson could take could take advantage of that so um, he's transferring from Juco to a blue blood certified college football powerhouse um, wide receiver number one at Alabama that's the same number that Jameson Williams wore Alabama. So he's my uh, number one guy here as far as uh, guys who have something to prove. Malik Benson. Nice. Very nice. Can I add one into the mix that 
I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I got a guy that I would yeah, like. It's your show, man. That's, I'm a guest here. It's hey, your show. That's all right. But, you know, hey, I like that I want to ask. So I'm trying to be courteous here. But, you know, the um, a guy that I watched last week who's, as I know Minnesota fans really excited, is tied in Brevin Span Ford, who's a 6'7", I believe. 6'7", 270. That's his listed height and weight. I don't think he's that heavy, but he's he's a big dude and he definitely can move. He's, you know, he was a former teammate of Tampa Bay Buccaneer Kokef Keith who made the Buccaneers and impressed them with his blocking ability and um and Span Ford, you know, he's mobile. You've se- I've seen him like, you know, everyone loves seeing Darnell Washington at Georgia hurdle people in the open field like they never saw Quincy Troop before or, a, you know, a bunch of other guys back from 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and many of them probably haven't. They probably weren't born back then. But, uh, you know, Span Ford is one of those guys that can, can do that impressive highlight tape type of stuff. And because he's a big dude who can move, he often looks really good with certain types of blocks because he is quick and can kind of manhandle folks. But I think he has something to prove because I don't think he's that great of a blocker. I think he overextends his frame. And when, you know, you get away with it in college when you lean too far forward. But when you do that in the NFL against NFL caliber defenders, you're tipping off your position. They're going to be able to redirect quickly and and make you miss wildly. Or they're going to be able to strike first and dictate the action because you're leaning too far ahead. And sometimes you just plain miss because you can't see what you're hitting. And so that's a big problem with um, Span Ford's game right now. And then on top of that, for people who are, you know, from the fantasy end of it and say, well, most tight ends aren't asked to do a heavy load of blocking if they're really dynamic receivers. And certainly he can be detached from the, the formation and he has enough acceleration um, in the open field to beat linebackers and 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 win the sale routes and earn the step in the first eight to ten yards in the same way that I would say David Njoku has enough burst to to be able to win in in zones and against certain linebackers and maybe even a safety occasionally in in the intermediate and vertical ranges of the field. But the problem with Span Ford is that he's a clap attacker on the ball. So there's a lot of clapping, even with high points where he gets his hands almost together. It's not quite there, and he still loses control of targets when he's in tight coverage because he claps onto the ball. And I've seen him take hits while clapping on and win the ball, but he makes his life more difficult. So if he can correct the overextension as a blocker at the point of attack, and he can correct the clapping onto the football, he will go a long way towards being a much better prospect who people can get excited about. Uh, Brevin Span Ford, he will be a, a sixth-year senior this season. I just looked him up on fan tracks, and he is 0% owned, but I've seen his his name maybe even from uh, from from you posting about him. So I, that roster ship percentage is going to go up uh, come the fall, if not before then. There we go. So who else do you got? Let's go to North Carolina. Uh, uh, Matt, you know that there's a, uh, a, a quarterback down there yeah. at North Carolina that people are really, really excited about named Drake May. 
Well, they have been kind of revamping their wide receiver core. We're going to lose Josh Downs to the NFL. Uh, that's one of the profiles that I can't wait to read uh, on Josh Downs because I'm, I'm really high on Josh Downs um, in the RSP, I should say. I, I can't wait to read Josh Downs' profile in the RSP. So how are they going to replace him? You got a couple of outside guys, one being – Six foot three hundred and ninety pound four star from the class of two thousand and twenty two, Andre Green Jr. from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, if you watched his high school tape, I mean, he played. I don't know what the level of competition there is in Richmond, Virginia, but you see him playing in literally sand lots, in cornfields, in uh, high school stadiums with no uh, visiting uh, bleacher, um, but. In, in, the, in, those high, in those high school tapes, leaping ability, contested catch ability, body control, securing the catch and bringing it to his body after a, catch, a contested catch. You saw all of those skills. Now, North Carolina had a lot of injuries in their wide receiver core this year. Josh Downs missed games. Uh, Antoine Green, no relation, who's at the East West or was at the East West Shrine game, he missed a lot of games. Josh Downs is a slot wide receiver. Uh, Andre Green is an outside wide receiver, so it doesn't make sense that that Andre Green would replace Josh Downs. Antoine Green though is an outside receiver, and we still didn't see Antoine Green Jr. get snaps with all of the injuries that they had at North Carolina. He had twelve targets. In the regular season. I'm sorry. He had 12 snaps in the regular season. One target in the regular season. When that's the case, to me, that means that the coaches do not trust you to do the right thing on a down-to-down basis. They just don't trust you to be consistent. That's the only reason that I could think of that he wouldn't be out there. Now, this is a guy who missed a season in high school due to COVID, so that could have, you know, stunted his growth and development. However, in the bowl game, again, after playing 12 snaps in the regular season, he played 41 snaps against Oregon in the bowl game. He had three catches for 26 yards and a touchdown. Um, So there are going to be a lot of eyes on Drake May, you know, widely considered to be in the, I would say in the running to be the quarterback one in the 2024 class right there with Caleb Williams, if not the clear number two in that class. That That's a team that's going to be on national television a lot. And that means, you know, Andre Green Jr. is going to have some opportunities to be his, his go-to receiver in some nationally televised games. Now, he has a lot to prove because obviously the coaching staff there at North Carolina recognized that they needed to replace Josh Downs. So, Andre Green Jr. figures to be on the outside, but they also brought in Devontae Walker, uh, who is, you know, I would compare him to Christian uh, Christian Watson, mm. a, a bigger guy who can stretch the field. Go ahead and watch his game against Georgia. There's a re- Devontae Walker transferred from Kent State to North Carolina. Go ahead and watch his game against Georgia. There's a screen pass in that game where he takes it 60 yards to the house and Georgia's defense can't catch it, and you see that green grass on the field getting wider and wider because he's uh, he's he's running past everybody. He had like 115 yards in that game, and they also had Nate McCollum, who from Georgia Tech, um, uh, who figures to be the slot wide receiver. 
So who's going to be the go-to? Is it going to be Andre Green Jr.? Is it going to be Devontae Walker? Probably. Uh, I actually just took Devontae Walker in a mock draft for for DLF in the second round. I think Devontae Walker could potentially be a a household name after next season. But Andre Green Jr. is the guy with at least some recruiting pedigree, some contested catchability, and with a certified gunslinger at quarterback that can put the ball where he needs it to be. So, um, again, a down year as a, I mean, as a, as a freshman, as a freshman didn't play coaches, didn't trust him, but got 41 snaps in the bowl game after only getting 12 through the regular season. So he's going to have the entire, didn't have the spring last year. Actually he did, but didn't, you know, he's going to go into the spring as a starter, get more reps, Let's see how he develops, and he's in the perfect situation with Frank May as his quarterback. Yeah, man, that sounds awesome. And talking about all these wide receivers, it's fascinating because, you know, you think about who who we're going to be thinking about for that draft class down the line. And when folks like, you know, myself or, you know, Matt Harmon, you know, the fantasy analyst for Deception Perception who, you know, does fantastic work with – wide receivers, you know, what he's going to be looking at. But speaking of Matt, you know, Matt's Matt's a fan of the RSP, and he's mentioned that he couldn't offer um, he couldn't offer this piece of work a higher endorsement. It's one of his favorite parts of the offseason is looking at the RSP. And, you know, and there's a reason why. I mean, when you think of Chris Olave, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, these are guys who went deep on NFL cornerbacks from the jump, and the RSP's been ahead of the curve for 17 years going on 18th year right now it's helping fantasy gyms go deep in their leagues with the likes of those receivers as well as guys like patrick mahomes lamar jackson nick chubb and cooper cup and helps you avoid some players that maybe get a little bit overdrafted in terms of things that um people think that that makes them high draft picks but maybe they're not quite ready and need a little bit more work it's a two-in-one fantasy focused draft guide matt waldman's rsp covers over 150 rookies at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. It's got comprehensive player profiles and analysis, pre-draft and post-draft rankings with tiers. I give you cheat sheets with the designated sweet spots for maximum draft value. So when I tell you that I like Chris Olave or A.J. Brown better than most most analysts who say think that their fits aren't good or Justin Jefferson who thought, well, Adam Thielen's the dominant guy there, I, you know, I'm showing you where you can pick those guys and say, look, my rankings have them higher than most, but I'm not telling you to pick them in the first round when you can get them in the middle of the second round or the late second round. Um, so that's what the cheat sheets do. You get a combined three-year rookie rankings. And the RSP is rooted in football as well as, even though it's a fantasy writer who does it, you know, it's one of the two most purchased independent NFL draft guides by NFL scouts, according to um, SMU's recruiting director, Alex Brown, who meets with these guys on a regular basis, the scouts and, and GMs and sees who they're reading and what independent work they're using as a cross-checking device. So you can order, pre-order the 2023 RSP um, and it's available for $21.95. Um, and listen, you too can go deep on your league. Just go to mattwaldman.com if you want to buy it directly or if you want to learn more about it, you can go to mattwaldmanrsp.com and look around my site and see the kind of in-depth work that I do there. And I know the players that I'm going to throw a hissy fit about in the RSP this year <laughs> when it comes out. I was listening to Feel It or F It, and I heard you talk about Michael Mayer with uh, with Bob Harris. So I know that he's going to be one. And Jameer Gibbs. When I read those profiles, I'm prepared 
just like Zach Wilson. Oh man, it's still her. I can still, I can still re- remember the scathing, scathing report on Zach Wilson that you ended up being right about, and what? you often end up being right, right about players, especially Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley. Um, so, uh, but those are the two. I, I've looked off the top of my head, those are two that I'm like, this is gonna hurt. This well, is gonna hurt. I don't think Michael Mayer will hurt that much. I like Michael okay. Mayer. I, Wait a minute. You so you are you admitting that I'm going to be hurt when I read Jameer Gibbs profile? Is that what you're saying? That's that's all I heard. That's all I heard. Of course, that's, that's all, all you heard. heard. That's of course. That's, that's all, all I heard. heard. That's all I heard is what you didn't say. Well, sometimes what I don't say is it really does scream, you, you know. So I understand that the silence on somebody could be deafening, but um, we'll see. I've still got more to watch, but uh, but we'll we'll see. Um, and we have the combine, and sometimes the combine can answer some questions that the film needs a little bit more of massaging, you know. After that, so so who else do you have? Who else do you have that has? I've got I've there? got two more. One wide, one more wide receiver, um, you know. And I'm I'm trying to give folks guys that are going to be on national television players that you can track. Uh, Dorian Singer, wide receiver, USC. Now we've already talked about one player who is transferring from a program. Malik Benson from uh, JUCO to Alabama. Dorian Singer is transferring from Arizona to USC. He's going to play with Caleb Williams. 6'1", 180 pounds, is a three-star from the class of 2021. Pinnacle High School in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, A uh, powerhouse high school football program there in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where Spencer Rattler went. There was was one time where we thought Spencer Rattler was going to be the number one pick in last year's draft. Well, he's still in college, so... uh, uh, you know that 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 didn't, that didn't go as as we expected, as we expected. But uh, as a freshman in 2021, he had 18 receptions, 301 yards, averaged 16.7 yards per reception. Now, what's funny is, is in 2022, he averaged the same yards per reception, 16.7, but had 66 receptions, 1105 yards, six touchdowns. Now, when I watch Dorian Singer, I see a so. Um, Tylen Wallace coming out of Oklahoma State to me was a smaller contested catch wide receiver with sticky hands, uh, p- played on the outside, kind of ran vertical routes and was one of these guys who just adjusted to the ball and and, and um, could, could adjust well to the underthrown b- ball well. Mike Woods, he, trans- he went from Arkansas to Oklahoma, another player that with a similar description. That's what I see with uh, Dorian Singer, someone who just adjusts to the ball and and the defender and tracks the ball well uh, when the defender is turned. Uh, 99.9 receiving grade, according to PFF, on passes thrown 20 yards or more Mm -hmm. down the field. So that's 25 targets, 14 receptions, and four touchdowns on those types of throws. Uh, I'll be interested to see how USC uses him because – you know, I don't see Lincoln Riley throwing the ball to a lot of players who are covered. You know, he usually schemes guys open. Um, and, and Dorian Singer, I, you know, he, he he's a guy that just kind of have to have to have faith in. But again, you know, another player who's going to have the spotlight on him um, should probably be the number one wide receiver for this team. I know it's USC, and we consider USC to be a blue blood, but that wide receiver core is really really lacking. You got Jerry Rice's son, Brennan Rice, there. 
he he's flashed only in one game in the bowl game this year. You got Mario Williams, who's definitely a slot wide receiver who's dealt with injuries and inconsistency. And we kind of thought that he would be the guy without uh, Jordan Addison healthy in some games last year. He wasn't, so that's kind of questionable. But he but he transferred from Oklahoma to USC with Lincoln Riley. And so you got this this transfer. We saw Lincoln Riley do this uh, last year with bringing Jordan Addison from Pitt. Well, this year, they're, they're bringing in Dorian Singer, this productive third-year wide receiver from, from Arizona um, who played in this spread offense. So I'm really interested to see how they use this guy who's, you know, kind of used to having a defender around him and going to – going to get the ball uh, over that defender um, but but you know he's he if he's going to pop and, and and improve his draft capital which I think that's why he made this move he's in the perfect system and to do so and playing with the perfect quarterback to do so Dorian Singer wide receiver USC 6 180 pounds um, another player with something to prove just like Jameer Gibbs last year I've been productive in a smaller scale with a program at Georgia Tech with Jameer Gibbs, can you do it at a bigger program with uh, with Alabama? Well, here it's Dorian Singer transferring from Arizona to USC. Nice. And I'm laughing because I still can't get over the Spencer Radler reference because I keep thinking Spencer Radler is the future Joel Klatt, maybe, you know, in terms of like, you know, and happy late belated birthday to Joel Klatt, who I see here was born on February 4th. He's, you know, he was a record-setting you know, CU quarterback, now Fox Sports lead college football game analyst. And when I saw Spencer Radler after watching him on tape, I thought he's a future lead game analyst for a college football, um, you know, program down the line. Um, he's he's a he was a good college quarterback, but I'm not sure he's he's quite ready for prime time. You know, well, future analyst Spencer Rattler or uh, current analyst Joel Joel Clatt, please get at me at Sharp Review on Twitter. We're trying to get college fantasy out there, and I can definitely use your recommenda- recommendations. So. Without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> so, who's your who's your final one guy more or something to prove? I know. One is this my chance to throw a hissy fit? Yes. Yes, I think so, because we've talked about this player a little bit before, and that is uh, Kendall Milton running back out of Georgia. 6'1", 220-pound, four-star, top 10 running back in the class of 2020. So that's the class that included B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Zach Evans, Tank Bixby, all players who are going to be in this year's RSP. I think that when you are built that way, the expectation is that you're going to be a physical in-between-the-tackles runner, you know, put your offense ahead of the chains on first and second down. Um, and if you show some competence in the receiving game, you know, you're going to be a, a guy that we value. By the way, if you say anything about Kendall Milton on Twitter, his father, who is a bodybuilder, will find you. Uh, so just be <laughs> just be just be forewarned. But this year he was outsnapped by Kenny McIntosh in Asia. I don't think Kenny McIntosh is particularly surprising. But he was also outsnapped by Dejon Edwards uh, last year, and Dejon Edwards doesn't have nearly the pedigree uh, as as a Kendall Milton, um, and he only played a handful of snaps more than this phenomenal freshman uh, Branson Robinson at, at Georgia. He had now Milton had five uh, five hundred ninety yards on the season, 
Um, but Branson Robinson played well on the entire season, played well against an overmatched team against TCU. I, I just, I really think it's going to be difficult to keep Branson Robinson off the field this year. Um, he just, I mean, quite frankly, they kind of do some of the same things and have similar skill sets, players who can win on first and second down and put, and put you ahead of the chains. But Branson Brenton Robinson seems to have more uh, lateral agility. He's a player who, who is better at, you know, when you're these, t- uh, t- when you're six foot one, you really got to bring your pad level down and shrink the tackling surface to, to kind of run through um, defenders. And I don't see enough of that from Kendall Milton in his running style. Like he's a player who should more often try to run through you, but tries to run around you. Uh, you know, he can be knocked backwards by safeties who are, you know, 180 and 190 pounds. And I just don't think that that should be the case when you can run with that much force at 6'1", 220 pounds. I mean, he could probably get up to, at 6'1", he could get up to 235, 240 pounds and probably still be, you know, the, the, a player that we, we'd expect. So, um, but my concern for him is that, you know, Branson Robinson, Branson Robinson is coming and there's a freshman there who tore his ACL in camp, uh, Aaron Paul out of Episcopal High School. I think it's the same high school that Jalen Waddle uh, went to, uh, who's 220 pounds, ran for like 2,500 yards as a senior, a late bloomer in the recruiting spaces. And the reports were that Andrew Paul was ahead of Branson Robinson in the spring again, and then he tore his ACL. So definitely something to prove because if I, if I had to if I had to bet, I would think that again Branson at least at, at the very least Branson Robinson would be ahead of him. This freshman will have surpassed him uh, come come the fall. Now spring practices start March 14th. That's what I love about college football. You know everybody's worried about the draft. I'm getting these data points from spring practices and reports from spring practices and spring games in April. Starts March 14th. You know, I think that Kendall Milton is fighting for not necessarily for his, you know, his his spot, but for snaps on this offense. And we've seen spring transfers. Uh, Jameson Williams was one. He he transferred after the spring. And, and I think Kendall Milton could be one if he's not um, satisfied with his place on the depth chart. Man, my my Debbie team does is is not happy right now. Picking Kendall Milton from a couple of years ago, um, you know, with hearing that news, but you know, maybe there's still some hope there. But it, you know, that's a terrific list, Felix, and it certainly, you know, it, it gives us an idea of players who could really do a lot to help themselves, you know, in 2023, and guys that we should be keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah, I mean that's why that's why that's why I'm here. So uh, I mean we could do this all day. I mean there there are a ton of players who who have something to prove. So you know in two weeks from now I can bring another list and we can talk about that list too. <laughs> well, we're gonna have a good time being able to talk about a good deal, a good bit of that. So you know we're gonna end the show talking a little bit about running backs and what it what are things that I look for in running back play, um, and. You know, there's a lot of things to to begin with, but I'm going to kind of list some of the broader points and then drill down with them. But, you know, some of the first things that I look for is power. 
And, and to me, power is about can you break arm tackles? Can you use a stiff arm to ward off contact? Can you, do you initiate contact with defenders? You don't have to win the contact, but initiating the contact is about really establishing your rhythm and imposing your rhythm on a defender so that when you make that initial contact, you can dictate the movements that come next. Pad level is very important, and it's one of the more fundamental things. If you don't have good pad level, um, then you're not going to be able to win collisions or stay balanced through collisions. So it's, a, it's an essential baseline to be able to play in the NFL and really even be an effective college back in most cases. Um, second effort, do you keep your legs moving through contact or do they go dead? So those are things about power that I look for. I look, you know, and but to me, what may be even more fundamental is not power, but contact balance. Because power is about, you know, you either break tackles or you're dragging defenders or pushing defenders. But initially what happens before you do any of that is often taking contact from defenders or initiating contact and whether you win that contact or at least stalemate that contact. So I'm looking for contact balance with defenders who are coming straight downhill at you where it's not only just that they're the line they're taking is straight downhill but their hips and their pads are downhill when they hit you because their power base is aligned if someone's hitting you straight downhill but their hips are facing the boundary either party then that's not direct contact you know that's more indirect contact because you you know guys like Andy Ryland who teaches tackling a former Penn State linebacker and rugby player who teaches tackling at one of the major websites USA Football you know has like literally like a 29 point um, criteria list of tackling what good tackling is and you can you know there's so many things that people analysts or football players will watch and They'll say in the moment, wow, look at him break that tackle. And Andy will look at it and go, well, if you look at this, this, and this, really the defender was in a position where there's there no way he was going to make that tackle. And, and so he looks at things in that level of detail. So direct contact balance is really about is the are the bodies aligned in a direct collision? And then you want to also see indirect contact where so maybe the contact's coming from an angle. So I look for those two things and I measure it also not only by whether they can at least stalemate the defender where it's like a collision and they stay upright and then it's about whether one can push the other or get help from uh, from teammates to push the other backward or forward. Um, but it's more than just that. It's whether you can also win the contact. And I look at it from can they do this against box defenders, namely defensive linemen, linebackers, or then defensive backs. And it's, you know, obviously the lighter the player, the easier it is in the most part. So I'm looking for those things. Contact balance is a really essential part. You should at least be able to win an indirect collision with a linebacker and preferably win some, some or at least stalemate a linebacker in a direct collision. Because if you can do those two things, at least from the, from the over 1,000 running backs that I've watched and graded, I think there have only been two or three out of that many who had 1,000-yard seasons in the NFL or at least 1,000-yard season in the NFL when they couldn't at least win an indirect collision or couldn't at least win or couldn't at least stalemate a linebacker in a direct collision. And those players were, um, I know two of them, Marlon Mack. And, and Darren McFadden. You got it. 
There you go. See, there you go. So those two players. Ball security. Listen, that's just a fundamental thing. Can they control the ball when they're hit? They have a high carriage close to their chest. Can they keep their elbow tight to their side? Do they have? Do they use the correct boundary arm or the arm away from pursuit? These are things that I think can be improved in comparison to say pad level is hard to improve. Um, contact balance is hard to improve. Ball security, pretty easy to improve. So um, a lot of it is a level of focus or having maturity of knowing um, when to give up the ghost when you're trying to go for more as, you know, power back sometimes who win, break a lot of tackles, sometimes fumble a little more often because they're they're trying a little bit too hard. Like Adrian Peterson, you would see, you know, superhuman efforts. And I think he had 20 fumbles in his first two seasons, things like that. So ball security, improvable, but you don't want to see an alarmingly low number because if it's alarmingly low, then you're worried about whether if they fumble early, whether coaches will lose confidence in them. And then they get David Wilson or Stevon Ridley, Ridley'd off of the, you know, out of the starting lineup. Um, speed and acceleration. I'm much more about acceleration than I am about speed. I know that like PFF and some of the, the analytical based sites are more like, well, the models show us that, that the NFL values speed. And that's true. The NFL does value speed for higher round draft picks. Um, but the baseline really to be in the NFL and to play well is about short area acceleration. The way I differentiate the two is that shorter that acceleration is the initial burst from basically a uh, a static point where you're you're still to um, maybe the first ten to fifteen yards, um, and then the next fifteen you know from fifteen to twenty yards on is really can you extend can you maintain that top end speed or build on it. Um, and to me, that's more long speed. 40 to me is long speed. 40 yards, because 40 yards, you're flipping the field. And that's that's a big play. That's a breakaway play, in, in essence. Where you hit singles and doubles are those 5 to 15-yard gains. And if you can consistently beat linebackers into the secondary with your burst, I don't care if you run a 4-8-40. If you have a, because if you're, if your 20 shuttle as a good example is, is good, your first acceleration or your 10 yard split is good. Um, you're going to be able to be successful on most plays between the tackles and you're probably going to be able to get to the edge, um, which you may not turn the corner on safeties or some off ball linebackers, but you're going to get downhill and, and be able to generate a push and probably get gains of five to seven yards. So Short area speed, you know, acceleration and speed. Those are those are the other things I look for. Vision is a catch-all term. It's really about decision making and integrating. I was going to say things. that. Like I, it, I, you and I have had a lot, lots of conversations about vision because it was just a term that I did not understand. Just d- talking about it in the in the in the context of decision making, that clarified exactly what I needed what I needed to understand. Yeah, yeah, because it's like quarterback decision making. Think of it that way. Running backs, they need to, they're in the middle of the field just like quarterbacks. And the closer you are to the middle of the field, the more you have to process. That's what a guy like 
um, Rick Spielman, former Minnesota Vikings GM, talked about on The Athletic last year, is that that's what NFL teams are figuring out, is that the closer your position is to the middle of the field, the better a processor, faster processor of information you have to have, which means, oh, wait a minute, running backs are smarter than people think. Um, you know, or at least, you know, the on-field smarts, the process things. And so that means vision includes things like, are you executing with maturity for down and distance situations? I mean, if it's third and one and you need one yard, are you really going to bounce a play outside inside your own 10 yard line or in any situation when you really just need to get what's in front of you and just push to take what's there? Or if you're backed up in your own territory and it's first and 10, um, are you really going to try and risk a second and 15 backed inside your own five and, and compress your, your team's playbook and because you tried to go for a big play? Or are you going to try and get it to second and seven and save your risk-taking decisions for when you have better field position for your team that they can afford to, to be in a second and 13 if you don't win that? So there's a maturity factor. That's why teams often, when they talked about Frank Gore and said, he gets the yards we expect him to get on the play, as opposed to Kenyon Drake, who would was boom bust in that area and he needed to learn. Pre-snap reads, you know, bubble, you know, reads of the bubble, the blitzes, box counts on each side of center. Do backs look at that pre-snap and say, this is where my chance is to make a cutback, where it's a, I'm making a logical decision to make the cutback or to anticipate where the run blitz is going to be coming and, and being able to do, be able to create and be prepared to go off script from what the play design is. That A lot of that is LaDainian Tomlinson was great at it. Frank Gore was great at it. And so that's these are things that not all backs do, but this is what the high-end backs, the promising backs do. Matt Forte's of the world did this. Edron James, you know, backs like that. Reading penetration and blitzes post-snap while they're approaching the quarterback to take the exchange. You can tell that guys read that because they make efficient moves after they receive the ball. They're not jump-cutting two yards in front of them after they take the ball and ram themselves into the oncoming penetration. They're often taking one step and they're flipping their hips. So things like that. Do they read the leverage of the defender on the blocker, the position of the defender on the blocker? If they're doing that, they understand where the play is flowing and how either to go against the grain or with the grain or who they need to press. Do they do when there's unplanned obstacles like penetration and blitzes, are their eyes, brain, and feet integrated? Do they have they worked on their footwork patterns and movements so much that they that when these things happen that they didn't rehearse that they already have a, a good answer for it because it's ingrained in them. That now it's like they're able to play fast because the game slows down for them because they're not thinking about what do I do in this situation? They see the situation and automatically their body is is reacting to how to move with that. So those are important things. Are they creative in the second level or the third level? Are they decisive in the open creases? Do they, when they see it, do they accelerate? Do they know their limitations? Like if you're, 
you know, there are certain backs that you just know that they're like, they're not going to make jump cuts. They're not going to be able to bounce plays, certain plays outside. Do they know themselves enough to go, listen, I could do this at Oklahoma. I'm not going to be able to do this against um, the Houston Texans, one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. They might be able to, you know, but they, but still no, I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, I, and I'm not going to try it. You know, Peyton Barber was great about that. You know, he wasn't a sexy fantasy player, but he knew his limitations of who he was. And he was one of those guys that made the plays with what was in front of him. And it was why he beat out a ton of players um, who had much higher draft capital than him and stuck around for a while and became a valued player. Then it comes down to the different ways that you read zone blocking versus man and gap blocking. These are all things of vision because how you approach a zone block is different than how you approach man and gap blocking. So you need to learn those scheme types and understand what that means, that you press, how you press holes in zone blocking, knowing how many steps you should press or how close you should press the line. The closer you can press the line, the better you probably are at manipulating. Don't you just press pause and you can see where their hole is supposed to be? And, uh, oh yeah, and that, 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 that's all you do. On, uh, Twitter. Yeah, it's yeah. easy. It's easy. Just press the. Yeah, that's all it is. Just press pause, and then and you, you see know, what you see where I, it's supposed to. I be. have success yeah. with that. Well, you know, I've been accused of making the game too complicated. You know, I just make all of this stuff complicated, and it's just hilarious because you know, I I can look at this. You know, the person who I've heard say this, I can look at this stuff, and and I've had hits with these guys, and it's like good for you. I'm glad that you do. Um, but all I'm telling you is I'm just sharing you stuff that I've learned from coaching books. I didn't make this stuff up. I've just cobbled it together from coaches and players and talking with them. So I've just decided to organize it. So you've got those things, you know, um, you know, so you've got decision-making, you've got following your scheme, you've got dealing with unanticipated obstacles. You understand the manage, game management and when to take chances and when not to take chances. That's all vision. Then you have elusiveness and agility, which is, to me, footwork and quickness. Short area change of direction quickness. quickness. You know, Jerome Bettis didn't have great acceleration. He didn't have great speed, but he had great change of direction quickness. LeGarrette Blunt didn't have great speed. He had great change of direction quickness. Um, you know, those are guys, Peyton Barber had good change of direction quickness, which is probably why he stayed in the league as long as he did without having great acceleration or great speed, adjusting stride length and pace. Those are manipulation tactics to set up blocks, to be able to understand your spacing and to be able to adjust to it on the fly. Um, you know, it's again, the, the eyes, brain, feet connection, you know, the manifestation of how you process information and the physical manifestation of that. Then you've got just things like different movement patterns, head and shoulder fakes, spins, sticks, jukes, open, you know, how you can open the hips with economy, types of jump cuts and jump stops, pressure cuts, how you transition from um, perimeter runs where you're starting working to the boundary and then, and then cutting downhill. Can you do that in a minimal number of steps? Do you, or do you need to gather your feet because you've gone at full speed to the outside? 
Now you got to cut inside. Do you need three steps to gather? And now def defensive linemen coming down the line catch up with you. Or a defensive tackle who's 320 pounds who maybe at you know Kent State they couldn't catch you. But when you're playing again, um, you know, Atlanta Falcons and Grady Jarrett's doing it, he can catch just about anybody. You know, if he can catch DeAndre Swift or he can, can or he can catch, you know, insert fastest back in the NFL here, um, you know, at the in the flat, which I've seen him do plenty of times, you, you know, you understand that minimizing your transition steps are important. Curvy linear movement, the ability to bend at a at a fast rate without cutting. Can you layer these moves? Can you put them in succession and be creative? These are all things that are about that. And then, you know, to, to wrap this up, you have the passing game. Can you pass pro? Do you diagnose blitz as well? In, inside and outside. Can you, and when you block, it's not just about effort. I'm so tired, Felix, of like hearing people go, well, it's just, if he gives the effort, I'm going to give him a good grade. Well, it's more than that. There's lots of guys in the NFL who come in who give good effort. That doesn't matter. At some point, that doesn't matter anymore. If you're going to stay on the field, you've got to like have your hands tight. You got to take the air out of like the interaction so that you're chest to chest. You got to keep your elbows bent and your arms tight so that you can get inside for some of these blocks and, and really deliver a punch that affects the opponent's base and be able to move them. You don't want to overextend, like I talked about with Brevin Span Ford as a blocker, as a tight end, you know, so that you tip off your block, especially as a running back when you need every advantage you can get. Um, you, you know, and there's different types of blocking. There's stock blocking. So do you break down well? Do you sink your hips? Do you shuffle your feet? Do you punch? When, when you punch, do you roll through your hips to generate force? Or are you a jab puncher? which means that you tend to overextend as opposed to being able to uppercut and control and roll through your hips and generate some force when because when you're 210 pounds and you're facing a 250-pound linebacker, that jab's not going to work. But that uppercut might actually stand up the linebacker just enough that you actually give your quarterback that extra step of time before that linebacker likely beats you. I mean, coaches know this. They're not... They're not expecting you to control, you know, you know, some of these linebackers. They're not expecting you to control TJ Watt one-on-one -on -one as a running back. But they're expecting that if you get stuck having to deal with TJ Watt as a running back, that you can at least slow him down. And part of that is the better your technique, the more like the longer you're going to be able to keep them slowed down. And then if you're really good, you might actually win some, you know, so that cut blocking you know there's techniques with cut blocking and how you work across their frame how do you earn height shooting through the contact you keep your eyes up are you timely with your attacks and then catching the ball you know do you get separation on routes at different ranges of the field do you do you understand how to run zone routes you know are you do you know like do you know for instance the coverage triangle enough to know this is where I should settle. Do you know that when you when you are breaking across the zone, when to turn your head to signal the quarterback that you're ready for the ball? Or do you turn too early and the quarterback throws it and now the, the buzz rollover defender is going to basically undercut or cut off this pass because you told the quarterback that the, it was okay to throw the ball with your, with your language because 
you weren't considering these things, you know, and then things like how you set up, you know, how you set up your brakes with your stems, you know, can you manipulate defenders with all the different techniques that you can use that receivers use, you know, those are things there. Maybe 90% of the running backs don't do this stuff or aren't going to be asked to do this stuff. And it's why, like, when I, when I study this, Felix, it's only worth five points out of the 100 points that I, that I score all these things on. Um, but that's the, let's say if everything's equal and we had running backs who did everything on my list, well, that's the difference between the running back who's in the 95th you know, or in the, you know, in the, the fifth percentile you know, or the 95th percentile and the one who's in the 100th percentile or the 99.9 percentile, you know, and that's a big difference at that point when you're talking between good and great, you know, that's the difference between say, you know, who, who could we give an example to Chase Edmonds being, you know, maybe Chase Edmonds plus some other things and Christian McCaffrey, you, you know, they're both scat backs, but the difference is, is that Christian McCaffrey runs things like a wide receiver. And if you want to know that difference, then you've got to study these things in this detail or else you're just going to be saying, you know, you're going to be making comparisons and be faulty. Catching the ball, obviously, do you track the ball well? And do you track it, it well in different ways? Over the shoulder, over the head? Do you use your hands in the right position for where the target's going to be? Do you keep your feet on the ground? Or do you leap when a ball's at chest level or above, which shows that you're not confident, confident in what you're seeing? Um, can you show late hands? Can you fool the defensive back so that they're not reading your eyes and they see your hands come up way too early and they know it's time to it's time to, to play the ball and turn back to the ball or just knock the ball away? Can you, can you do that? Do you... You know, how wide is your catch radius? You know, how how tight is your hand positions? Do you understand how to earn position against defenders to catch the ball? Um, you know, these are all things, you know, can you take contact? Can you transition downhill immediately so that you don't waste time and space and wind up like stopping and trying to put a move on a guy? Do you just get downhill so that you can put the pressure on the defender? I mean, that's a lot of stuff, but these are the types of things I'm looking for when I look at a running back. Um, and it, and the biggest and probably the most important things out of that list will be balance, the, all the things about vision, um, elusiveness and acceleration to me, as far as if that's, that's going to get you in the door. If you have those things and you're really good at those things, um, you're probably going to make an NFL squad. Then if you're going to contribute in the NFL, then you got to, you either have to be a great receiver or you have to be a competent receiver and a competent blocker. You know, you've got to be one or the great at one or the other or competent at both. And those are things that, you usually can develop, you know, the, the, the blocking you can develop, the pass catching usually you can refine as long as you can track the ball. Um, the, the elusiveness and footwork, you can, if you have the baseline skills of being able to drop your weight and bend your hips and have some hip flexibility and you show some footwork 
efficiency, then you're probably going to be able to build on that. If you don't have that to begin with, and then you have to, um, and, and you're in the NFL, then you're probably not going to develop it much more. You're probably going to just have a one-note game. It's going to be the, stay the same. Um, you can get better at zone blocking. You can get better at man or gap blocking. Though I would say that people who run gap blocks um, in the NFL who are good gap runners, they tend to transition better for outside zone, not as much for inside zone. Um, though, I've you know, guys who can do both, that's the ideal. Zone blockers tend to be better at transitioning to gap running. Gap runners have a tougher time transitioning to inside zone from my experience. Guys who, the if, if guys are not good at the situational down and distance game script thing, they can get better at that. But if they don't read leverage well right now, you can you can pretty much say that's very hard for them to get better at. If they don't if they can't see the leverage right now, forget it. If they can't integrate their feet against unplanned obstacles right now, you can probably forget it. Um, you know, if they're not decisive as a runner, um, check to see if they've had a change in scheme and they're getting used to it. And if they were better at what they were doing before, if they were, then that tells you that maybe they're adjusting or they're confused about something and they're overthinking. And that may be clouding the picture about who they really are. They might be better than what you think. Um, or if no matter what scheme they're on, they're really just hitting big plays because they're fast. And, and you know, 60, 70, 80% of the time, they they look lost out there you know with a lot of plays then it's probably not going to change in the nfl that way so those are some of the those are all the things i look for and then some of the things that i prioritize safe to say that this is the position you are most passionate about is that fair i'm pretty close it, i would say it's my favorite position for sure it's my yeah. it's my favorite position i'd probably say i'm most passionate about quarterback these days but I'm a, but running back is running back will always be my favorite. I was a, um, I I was a I was a wannabe running back probably in my in my <laughs> fantasy life. So, well, one one of the first things you talked about was um, uh, anticipating collisions and preparing for collisions. I know that you've talked a lot about micro movements, and um, I've heard uh, uh, Paul Pertichese and uh, uh, the guys that that the Saturday to Sunday, Sunday football uh, podcast, which you've, you've been a guest on. Yeah. I've heard them talk about it too. And that's the reason why um, uh, Justice Hayes, who is a freshman in this 2023 class, is my number one running back, is that he plays, he already has a low set, center of gravity. And he still uh, uh, leans forward and shrinks the tackling surface and anticipates collisions and does not take direct contact and it's so hard you know very you you see guys rolling off of him tacklers rolling off of him even guys that are bigger than him because he plays with so much uh forward leverage and he's i think he's the second or you know according to the recruiting services he's the second or third uh, uh running back in this class but he's my number one running back for that reason there's a guy who's bigger and more athletic and cedric baxter who's headed to texas um but i see him take chest to chest contact 
uh, which is something that I see that we talked about Kendall Milton, Milton earlier. I see that from Kendall Milton also. And so I've just learned to, you know, that this one little thing, uh, to appreciate more often and pay attention to what I see in Justin's, in Justice Hayes game. You brought up great Grady Jarrett. That 21-3 uh, uh, loss from the Falcons robbed Grady Jarrett of a Super Bowl MVP because he would have been the Super Bowl MVP of that game. Yeah. It was absolutely disruptive. Uh, so, anyway. No, um, those are uh, those are great. Those are great thoughts, you know. And, and it's funny because, like, with and what I'll just note is that, you know, running backs don't need to be, like, want to be the closer to 100 the the more likely they're going to be contributors to the nfl i mean certainly you know the higher the grade the more promising they probably are to have chances but they don't have to do everything at a high level in fact what often happens is is that players who there's always compensatory factors with players and that's the thing that i think it's most important about scouting is that you know there may be a player who lacks great height or great strength, or maybe they don't have awesome pad level. Um, but if they can at least do the baseline of what you're looking for to be on an NFL team, do they have some other quality that that kind of compensates for it? So for instance, Frank Gore didn't have great top end speed, but he had great short area quickness and terrific manipulation footwork skills to create creases um, and manipulate defenders. So he played a long time in this league, despite the fact that, you know, his speed went away with two ACL tears at Miami. Um, and that's, you know, those are compensatory factors in the same way that, you know, Adrian Peterson had, you know, some of the most inefficient cuts that you will see from a running back but he could still make those inefficient cuts and make them work in his mid-30s at the end of his career and still be a viable and damn good emergency starter, you know, for a Detroit Lions team at the end of his career. He could have played last year. I have no doubt he could have played last year. I have no doubt he could play this year. I have no doubt. Honestly, I think he could probably play at 40 and still be like, a 700 yard back especially now that we're running gap schemes like if i were an nfl team right now as crazy as it sounds if i was like listen we're going to the we're we're a playoff contender we run gap all these spread out defenses that are with these like safeties for linebackers and we just need to win five games and we need to get to the playoffs and we run a gap scheme I'll pay the veteran minimum for for Adrian Peterson and let him run. And in that scheme now, you know, he I, I would be okay with that. You know, some people would scoff at it, and maybe there's a little hyperbole there. But I, I think he's actually I think that he could actually hold up for at least two or three games and give you something. Mind you, when he was in Tennessee, they didn't run gap schemes, they ran zone scheme work. And he got stopped in the backfield a lot, and that a lot of that wasn't his fault. But put him in a gap scheme, whoo, because that compensatory factor with him was unbelievable strength, unbelievable contact balance, and great acceleration and speed. So yeah, he could his jump cuts were crazy, and sometimes they worked. 
Oftentimes they did in the height of his career. But, um, you know, and he fumbled a lot early on in his career. And he wasn't a great pass catcher. So, you know, you got to understand, you know, sometimes it's about matching the player's strengths with what it is you want them to do. And that would be a perfect example of that. But listen, folks, you know, this has been a, a, a fun show. We learned a lot about players that have something to prove heading forward. Hopefully I didn't bore you to death about running back play and, you know, the ins and outs of what I look for. I hope you found that at least somewhat fascinating. But, you know, we appreciate you listening and tuning in during the off season. You can learn more about Campus to Canton at campustocanton.com. Um, you know, fantastic league format. I look forward to playing it this spring and getting started. And I'm definitely going to be doing that once I finish the RSP, which you can find at mattwaldman.com. Um, the pre-order for April 1 download, I'll email you when you buy it. You, uh, um, you'll get an email on April 1st when it's ready for you to log in and download it, as well as the post-draft one week after the NFL draft. Um, thanks again for listening. Have a great week.